Hi, I'm Maddie, and I don't have a hobby. Hi, I'm Haley, and I have too many hobbies. And I've taken it upon myself to get Maddie hooked on just about anything. In this podcast, we're talking true crime. We're talking Enneagram. We're talking mental health. We're talking Scientology. And just about everything in between. So we're inviting you on a journey that you definitely didn't ask to be invited on. In the hopes that you too would like to be Average, average girls Average and What's up, everybody? Oh, yeah. sorry, I'm like mid-eating a grape. We're back. We're back and better than ever. I don't know why we would be better than ever. We're not. We're, we're not. Worse. We're worse off than before. <laughs> However, it is about to be Thanksgiving. It is. So Haley and I will be apart, which is so sad. <laughs> it is sad every time. It's every time. Happened. Yeah. We don't do well apart. Haley's going to Pittsburgh. Nice. I'm going to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm already dreading us not seeing each other for like, what, a week? Yeah. yeah. I think it'll be, well, yeah, a little bit less than a week. A little less than a week. Well, when That's do you come back? tragic. Sunday. Uh, I come back Sunday, too. Okay. Oh, it's a little less than a week, which still feels tragic. It somehow. just feels like a long time for well, us. Well, also the fact, and the fact that it's like, we're just going to be in, well, granted, I guess you'll be with with people just because you'll be staying at Corey's house, but I'll be with my family for five days. Yeah. And we might kill each other. That's tragic. Love them. In and of itself, yeah, in true. another way. <laughs> Anywho, I hope you guys have a good Thanksgiving weekend and spend time with people that you actually like. What do you mean actually like? I just like some people. I assume don't... all of our listeners hate spending time. with. People. I'm just saying like for me, it's kind of stressful going home. Oh, yeah. But some people mm. love spending time with their oh, family. Oh, you're just wishing them. So I'm like, whoever. if it's not your family, I hope you spend time with like old friends. Okay. Or like, okay. Solid. Or extended family that you might like, like cousins or something. I don't mm. know. I know. I can't even hang out with all of my cousins and I'm very sad about it. Because of COVID. Yeah. I know. Washington, you can't meet with anyone who doesn't live in your household. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, and they're on lockdown until the 14th of December. <sighs> we're going to make it, guys. Yeah. Barely, but mm-hmm. we will. Okay. Anyways, moving on. We're going to jump into our hot take. Okay. And I have a fun little round of this or that. Some okay. of them are just specific to you, Haley, because I think it's funny. Uh, like two. And then some of them we can both answer. Can you write them down? Yeah, I mm-hmm. wrote them down on my way here. Okay. I was in my car, um, like, doing the voice memo thing. I'm incredible. Okay. okay. First one, actually, Kenzie inspired this earlier because she wrote yeah. on her Instagram that she hated flying. She was like, hot take, I hate flying. Mm. And then put, like, a poll up if you like driving or flying. So that's my first question, driving or flying. Like, would you rather road trip it? Mm, no, I'd rather fly it. Same. But does it depend on how far? Like, obviously, yeah. you're not going to road trip to Pittsburgh. But yeah. if you're going to, like, Atlanta, It depends with who. Like, if you wanted to go road trip, that would be very different than, like... But still, you're going to fly. That's your preference? Mm, no, unless it was, like, a group of friends running a road trip. I think mine's fly across the board. Really? Yeah. Maybe it's because we're flight attendant kids. Maybe. I, I never went on a road trip in my life until I came to college. Really? Yeah. Where did you go? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> Well, like Miami. Probably but that Miami. No, no, no. No, because Miami's only three hours away. Yeah, I was Probably Georgia. I think oh. that was my first one. 
Really? Maybe not. I don't have a great memory. So mm-hmm. maybe I could have done something before I met Corey. I don't remember. <laughs> um, next one. Sweats or leggings? Oh, uh, uh, leggings. Okay. Unless, it, well, yeah, leggings though. If you're walking out the door and you can only do one, are you... Oh, le- sweat. No, no, different question. Mm. Are you doing makeup or hair? Makeup. Mm. You only do one. Yeah, probably makeup. But I'm probably just going to throw concealer and mascara on. So, still makeup. Because I never do my hair. <laughs> okay, fair. I would be sweats for the last one. Okay. Um, And then I think makeup. Yeah. Um, Trump or Biden? No. Stop it. <laughs> Biden. Bye. Um, I'll cuss you out. <laughs> Ariana Grande or Dua Lipa? Um, I, I don't like, like, I don't regularly listen to Dua Lipa, so probably Ariana Grande, I listen to her more, but I'm not like, okay, obsessed. I agree. I listen to Ari's music more, but I yeah. think Dua Lipa is more of like an interesting person. Yeah. I think Ariana if it was Grande who I want to be friends be with, boring, yeah. but still I'm going with Ariana Grande. Okay. Yeah. Feel safer. Um, no, I like Dua Lipa. I don't know. Hometown, like Pittsburgh or like Tacoma for me, mm-hmm. or Lakeland, like to live. Yep, for the rest of my life. Yeah, like you're oh, stuck Jesus. in Lakeland forever, or you're stuck in Pittsburgh forever. I don't want to be stuck in Pittsburgh forever, Lakeland, but Lakeland. begrudgingly because I don't want to be here forever either. Yeah, I'm Lakeland too. Um, Nick or Schmidt? Oh, Nick, easy, done. Yes, I agree, but every time I see Schmidt on an episode, I'm like. Ah, oh, just really? a genius character. Oh, absolutely. But he's not my favorite, but a genius. The character sure. in general is like, yeah. Amazing. Um, you watch Harry Potter, right? Yeah. Ron or Harry? <gasps> Harry. I think I'm Harry too. I wanna be Ron, but I think I'm Harry. I think I would hate Ron in real life, is the thing. Exactly. But I would love Harry, because Harry, Harry. Mm-hmm. Um Calvinism or Arminianism? <laughs> Shut up. Why would you do that to me? You got to choose. Um, I only kind of know what Calvinism is, and I don't know what the other one is. Calvinism is I love that you're God's elect. Me. Okay. And Arminianism is like the free will. Oh, okay. Then I guess the other one. A little bit more Arminianism, but not one or the other. I'm not. Okay. I... In high school, my Bible teacher was very Calvinist. Sure. But I'm not. I'm like, oh, yeah, was he? Like, as if I have any idea. I, I, I remember learning that stuff, and it, I just, it didn't stick. Somewhere yeah. in there. Uh, boobs or butt? On myself or on someone <laughs> In else. general. I feel like I'm biased towards boobs only because that's what I have. But Okay, I'm butt. <laughs> um, oh, this one's tailored to you specifically because you love both of these things. Oh. And it's a, you can only have one. Okay. So, mustache or curly hair? <gasps> yeah. So, if they have curly hair, never a mustache. If they have a oh, mustache, no. no curly hair. Mustache, no curly hair. I can do that. Really? It take you mustache? Can it be or... wavy? No. It has to be straight? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, God. Okay, if it has to be straight, no. But if it can be wavy, then... Okay, uh, my favorite murder or crime junkie? My favorite murder. Easy. Really? Crime junkie is too scripted. You I know, like it, but it's too scripted. Someone I used to work with, their ex-girlfriend is the host on Crime Junkie. Ashley Flowers? I guess. Oh, 
we gotta we gotta call Ashley. We gotta find a way. <laughs> um, Snickers or Butterfinger? Uh, Butterfinger. I don't like peanuts. I'm Butterfinger too. <gasps> really? Yeah. People and, people don't talk enough about Butterfinger. You know what really doesn't get enough hype? Take fives. Well, yes, that's my favorite. Heath. Oh, one Heath, Heath bar Blizzard every time. Yes, every, every time. time. Thank you. <laughs> um, mashed potatoes or stuffing? Stuffing. I don't like Same. mashed potatoes. Oh, I love mashed potatoes, but stuffing no, just I, does something uh, to me. It makes me, ever since I worked in an assisted living place in the dementia unit, I saw way too many people eat everything or as dressing, mashed potatoes. If that's more your Ooh, no. speed. No, I love stuffing. Um, mask or no mask? Shut up, mask. <laughs> it's embarrassing to be an anti-masker. It is. Especially, it's so funny. I know somebody who had COVID, like, really bad, like, to the point they thought they were, like, dying. And their relatives flew in to take care of them. And now they are an anti-masker. No. Yeah. And I'm like, bro, you can't be what? that sick. You're, you're like, literally and not then be against. And then be okay with everyone else getting that Right. <laughs> Anyways, I get it. You're not going to spread it again, maybe. I don't know. Science doesn't even really know for sure that you can't get it twice. I was talking to Sharon about it the other day. Apparently, maybe can. Anywho, um, I have one last one. Okay. Um, Where is it? Oh, uh, Beecher Mountains. The generic ones. But hard. Oh, I like them both. I know. I would honestly probably say mountains. But I love the beach. I think I would too. But I think it's because we're around the beach a lot. That's true. And it probably depends on the trip. Sure. It always does. I, I always have a cop out. I'm yep. sorry. I don't know. I just, it's just, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Okay, so um, for this week, we are doing something that is long awaited and not for anybody else, but probably for me, but kind of for Maddie. We originally filmed, filmed this, recorded this. Yeah. Recorded this. Whenever it was our first, very first awkward episode, and it went for like, oh god, how long is it? Almost like, oh my gosh, like it was it, like an hour and a half. Yeah, like we just didn't know when to stop. We didn't know how to work anything. It was probably very uncomfortable. I'm glad it doesn't exist anymore. But. Yeah, me too. It was the first time we sat down in front of a mic and like really went for Do it. Do you want to tell them why we couldn't post it? Why couldn't we post it? I don't remember. Because I tried to edit it. Oh <laughs> my gosh, you guys. Haley thought she was doing us a favor by editing our podcast on our recording um, website that we use. There's like, you can cut files on it, but it's not meant for actually editing anything. And Haley cut all the clips into at least 45 pieces. I was trying to be helpful to Maddie because I knew it was going to take her so long. And so I was like, oh, here, I'll help her out. She's going to be so grateful when she logs on and she sees that most of the work is already done but she didn't realize like all I had to do is download the entire file and then edit it on logic sure you don't even know what that no, is I have no idea and I that's okay hopeless without you and that's okay but she tried to save time and really what she did Costy is time. made me download individually 45 clips in 15 minute segments so this is just a reminder to you all who thought that I was perfect, that I'm actually human. She's flawed. <laughs> oh, it's I know it will come as a shock to most of you, but I am flawed. Yeah. Anywho. Um, anyways, so basically this. the first ever episode that we were going to record was very specifically Ted Bundy because Maddie survived Ted Bundy. Haley always says this, and yes. it's not well valid. Like, it's don't not tell anyone. Valid. 
don't tell anyone that I did because I didn't. Well, I do tell people that when I I know I'm telling them. My friends say, "Who's my friends?" I don't know. If people say, "Who's your best friend?" I'd say Maddie Hood. She survived Ted Bundy. All in one sentence. Just yeah, fluid sentence. That's actually your contact name on my phone. <laughs> just one, but it's no spaces in between. I hate you. Um. Okay. So Ted Bundy is arguing. Oh wait, let me explain how you survived Ted Bundy. Oh, right. Matt, I guess that would make sense. Maddie's mo- Maddie's from the Tacoma area, which is where Ted Bundy is from, where most of the murders were from. Maddie's mom was growing up at, the t- well, was around the time of all the murder victims, was this, was around that age. Yeah. And at the time, well, she lived in the same place. And so it just, just it's true. And my random mom murders. was like the exact replica of the type of woman he would go for. Yeah. Exactly. That's what like I'm saying. same build, same hair color, like everything. If you would have killed your mom, you wouldn't be here. It's true. And what's even crazier that would be a truer sentence if you said so and so escaped Ted Bundy, it would be Chaslin. Oh, that's true. Chaslin's mm-hmm. grand was it her grandma? Grandma, I think. Her grandma ate dinner at Ted Bundy's house. Yeah, like they were yeah, like her grandma knew they had mutual friends. Like they would all like Yeah. Yeah. And she actually like ate a dinner with him and Ew. then left because she had bad, bad vibes, right? If I'm remembering, I don't if I'm remember remembering the story right. I thought that she just said like my grandma just didn't fit the type, oh, or something like it, she wasn't really threatened by him because he didn't have a type, like yeah. But they also didn't know that he was like a murderer. Right. You couldn't have <laughs> known that, yeah. Anyways, I have a lot of friends from back home that went to the same high school that Ted Bundy. No, and I remember the first time we did this, like, forever ago. There's a lot of, like, places that you definitely don't remember because your memory is so bad. But a lot of places we'll talk about that you're going to – you will have been from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Jump into it. Wait. No. Lake Sammamish. Sammamish. Lake Sammamish is a different place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So – Basically, I've watched a million and five documentaries. I've also read the Anne Rule book, The Stranger Beside Me, which is way too long. So that's where a lot of this is coming from. Nice. So basically, I'm an expert on Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy is probably my favorite serial killer, I think. I think it's I, weird to I have a favorite lame. serial Like, I'm not saying I want to date him, but I'm saying, like, well, can't. Electric chair. But. <laughs> oh, but. <laughs> and I. And I. Um, but anyways, yeah. So. Um, also, if you haven't watched the Ted Bundy tapes that are on Netflix, it's so, so good. There's also an Amazon documentary. That's really, really good. And there's also the one with uh, Lily Collins. Yeah. Well, that's the fictionalized version of right. it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, like Lily Collins. I know. Me too. And Zach Efron's really good in it too. Yeah. He looks a lot like him in a lot of like He does. Ones. Okay. So basically, if you haven't seen the Ted Bundy tapes, this is like the beginning of the Ted Bundy tapes. And you've never seen it, right? I've seen bits and pieces. Okay, so the very beginning part, the reason that I think it like sucks you in as much as it does is because it has the investigator. His name is Stephen McEwad. Nice. I don't know if that's pronounced that way. Um, and he, apparently Ted Bundy has never given an interview at this point where he like first starts interviewing him. And um, it's the first time that he's ever meeting. He's been on death row for years now. And he said that he is going to finally uh, provide information about why he was innocent or why he was guilty. This is the first time he's ever done this. Mm. So an interviewer flies in. Um, I f- don't even have on here where he was from. See, you can tell I did this research from back before I was prepared for these things. Um, and he meets him at Florida State Prison, which is where another tie that you have to Ted Bundy is that. Well, not that you're in prison here, but that you... Prison? No, <laughs> no, that you moved from Tacoma to Florida, but he didn't willingly move here, I guess. Nice. Yeah. yeah cool. Oh, I, I love, love that. that. Um, so over the course of six months, Stephen meets for over 100 hours with Ted Bundy in the Florida State Prison. 
And so basically every single time he goes there, he basically is just like BSing with him. Like Ted won't give him any answers. Doesn't want to talk about the murders. And this guy's like, why am I here? Like, why do you keep flying me out here? But they keep saying like, just wait on the story. And so he's just waiting it out. So eventually this guy like turns everything on his head after all of these hours of interviewing Ted Bundy and getting nothing, Mm -hmm. getting just like this guy's life story over and over again because he's a narcissist. He basically flips the angle and he says, Ted, you have a degree in psychology. You know all the details of the case better than anybody. So one way to get you out of here is to turn you into an expert witness. And so why don't you tell us what you would know since you're the expert here? Like, why don't you tell us what kind of person would have done this? And the guy explains that like really creepily. And he says that he just randomly like he felt like his eyes changed color. He cradles the tape recorder and he said it felt like he wasn't even in the room anymore. And he starts speaking purely in hypotheticals. And they have the recording and they play it. And it's creepy. And he says, and I quote, this individual would have had this entity. It would have taken over, would have had a compulsion to do this. And so he totally externalizes the entire thing, which is like a therapy thing. Like that's what they try to get you to do. Like Mm -hmm. this is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Um, And he basically starts backtracking from the very beginning, telling his own life story from the third person. And this is the only time he's ever admitted on tape to any of this, any of this. And he's been saying, like, basically, here's what would have happened. He would have grown up in a house like this. And he's describing his own childhood. And it's his way of, like, releasing it without taking any ownership of it. Right. Which is terrifying. So – um, November 24th, 1946, Ted Bundy is born in good old Tacoma, Washington. He's born in Sheridan Street, which is what we... Weird. Yes. You did My friend's that. grandma lives on Sheridan That's Street. That's terrifying. Second house in the corner, west side of the street. You've probably seen it. Oh, you know what? I remember looking it up, though, and it's like, well, Sheridan Street, for some reason, is like very long, oh. and it's like pretty... Um, like South Tacoma, mm. and they live in North Tacoma. Not that gotcha. that means anything to you, right? But North South Tacoma, and, Tacoma. No, <laughs> North and South Tacoma, for people that live there, know it's a very, very different. different. Yeah, North Tacoma is like really beautiful, really nice, like a great part of town mm-hmm. for the most part. And then South Tacoma is like just rough. So he's in South Tacoma. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. where that house is. Um, so basically Ted grew up just trying to be something that he wasn't all the time. He couldn't, he didn't understand what to do with girls. He basically, because he's a narcissist, he's a person that's trying to figure out how to be a person by just watching other people and mirroring what they're doing. And Mm -hmm. people usually can see through that or like, aren't, I don't know if a guy's flirting with you and is doing that, you know it usually. Right. It just, it's bizarre. So he is trying to be a genius. He's trying to be athletic. He's trying to like do these things to set himself apart. And it's just, he's always mediocre and he's always a little bit off, but nothing like he's normal for the most part, but there's just little things that if you noticed, whatever. So whenever he's 14 years old, he finds out that his parents are actually not his biological parents. His mother was a teen mom and his birth certificate shows no name under his father. Um, his grandfather had a violent streak. People think that maybe he was a product of incest, but there's nothing to like formally say that. Make that that claim. Yeah. So no one really knows exactly. But he denies all of this, but he does say that his illegitimacy wasn't, that it was a really big issue. And going back, it's like the common thread that goes through everything is this was like his first really, really big rejection. Right. And like, yeah. I mean, that would be like earth shattering at any age to figure Mm -hmm. out that your whole life is lie. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. They, they Whether or not you, you have all these other issues underneath, right. like if you're a normal kid and then you find that out, like that's going to screw you up. No, 100%. So adding on to all the other <laughs> weird things that he has going for him, it's just like a recipe for disaster. 
Oh, terrifying. So he goes to the University of Washington to get his undergrad in psychology. Also, another thing you have in common with Ted. Dun, I didn't dun, dun, dun. go to UW, though, but I had friends that went to UW and sat in classrooms with professors, really old professors that had him, <gasps> and also had that one girl. Uh, what's her name? You know, she has a documentary. Amanda Knox. Amanda Knox, yeah. How did I know that? <laughs> I actually sat in um, a lecture with one of my best friends who went to UW, and she was talking about Amanda Knox because she taught her. That's so crazy. Did mm-hmm. she think she did it? Um, I don't know. She didn't say that, but she talked about um, how they did like all these journals and stuff. And Amanda Knox's is published on the UW website. Um, and it's under like a pseudonym, but she knows exactly which one it is hers. That's and strange. she always tells her students to like try and figure out who's is who or something like that. Oh, I bet you I could figure it out. Probably. Okay. Um, so after this, it's 1971. Ted is working at a crisis clinic as a social worker and crisis worker. <gasps> That's something you have in common uh, with uh, the murder. Uh, yeah, no, it's your turn. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he starts working with a woman named Ann Rule uh, during the night shift. So they end up spending all night just waiting for phone calls for crisis calls to come And in. is that the person you said wrote the book? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, she's a, she is a crime writer, but basically The Stranger Beside Me is what put her on the map. And so it's like her most famous book out of all of her books. And then all of her like fame as a true crime writer came after that. And so at this point, he doesn't even really know that much about her, but she also was an investigator for years too. So, and she's like an older woman. She's like in her, I want to say she's in like her forties at this point. So like completely not (laughs) Ted's type at all. Well, older than his type. Gotcha. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So they end up talking all hours of the night because they're just waiting for phone calls to come in. And so they're like work friends, basically. They're not like besties, but they spend a ton of time together. So she um, basically said that one thing that they talk about the most is his relationship with his girlfriend, Liz. So Liz goes by a pseudonym in the uh, book. And so sometimes she's in here as Meg randomly, but her name is Liz and she's come out now and has done all these interviews. The Amazon documentary is like partially, I don't know if it's directed or produced or something like that by her and her daughter. So it's, like, really accurately – just, like, it's from their perspective of, like, lived experience. Mm -hmm. So he describes his relationship with Liz as that he loved her so much that it was destabilizing. She was meek from a nice family, has a kid. Um, So he has a – by the time they start dating, I think his – her daughter is five years old. Okay. Um, They have a pretty volatile relationship. He's cheated on her, but they have this intense attachment. He has a really big fear of losing her. So during one late night shift, Ted starts telling Anne about this other woman that he can't stop thinking about. And Anne is like kind of thrown off because she's like, you always talk about Liz and how in love you are with Liz. Mm. So basically, Ted gives her the story that in 1967, Ted had met a woman named Diane. Diane was going to offer Ted this life that he had just never got to have, the life he was always trying to get, where she came from money. And like her family is like college educated, super smart. He like wants her world. Um, but he, she finds things immediately that she doesn't like about him. Um, even though he, everything about her, he absolutely adores. She has beautiful hair that's parted down the middle, long brown hair, which comes into play. Nice. Um, she ends up breaking up with him because he's indecisive and he's needy and she doesn't think he has a lot of drive. Um, and that sometimes he manipulates people and she doesn't like that. So they sporadically write each other letters after they break up. And at one point he shows up at her university in San Francisco to surprise her and pretend like it was a run-in. What? Yeah. So then after that is whenever he starts dating Liz, but he still thinks of um, Diane. And she's in here as Stephanie. Well, that's her pseudonym in here too, but. I realized earlier I said pseudonym. Did you? Pseudonym. 
Yeah. I didn't even realize you said that. Um, So, but in 1973, Ted has a business trip in Sacramento and he decides to reach out to Diane. But at this point, he's 27 and he's been with Liz for, uh, I want to say it's like two years at this point. So they agreed to spend a weekend together in Seattle and figure out what their future looks like together. She flies back out another time after that to spend the weekend and she realizes that she's in love with him and that like everything is different. Timing is better. Yada, yada, yada. She's in love with him. So she starts talking about marriage plans and he tells her that the other girl, they had tried to break up and she just keeps calling him and calling him. And that's why he keeps taking her phone calls while they're on this weekend in Seattle. And he, you know, he's like, we're going to be together. I just need to like officially break things off with her because she's driving me crazy. She won't let me break up with her. Is basically what she's saying. And she falls for it. So she realizes after she goes back that he gets really cold and distant. And then in January of 1974, Diane flies home um, and waits for a call or a letter from him. She goes to a counselor at one point who tells her to write Ted and he never responds. So she calls him and she's yelling at him. And he said, and like, like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you made me think we were going to get married. And he says very coolly, Diane, I don't seem to know what you mean. Hmm. like nothing ever happened that is the formula to piss off a woman literally so this is like his act of revenge of like how he was gonna get back at her for like this big rejection that he didn't which i think is like again the like common thread of his life is like that feeling and that like drives him to do insane things so he goes back doesn't tell liz about any of this and stays with her and then basically tells Anne about all of these things happening with these women, knowing that, like, Anna's his confidant and doesn't really know Liz. Like, doesn't know any of these people. Yeah. So he's telling her all of this. So going back to Ted speaking in the tape recorder now, he says, perhaps this person had an irrational belief that the next time he did it, he would be fulfilled. And so on and so on. So it's all about possession and control. And, like, next time I do it, it's going to be enough and I'll be fine. Um so early manifestations of the acute onset of the individual starts with pornography is what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that he begins connecting – this person, this hypothetical person, connects right. naked women with violence. The interest becomes more specialized with more grotesque preoccupation. He reaches the point where the anger, anxiety, and security decides upon attractive young women being his victim until an entity controls him. One particular evening, he's walking behind a woman on the street, and she turns around, and he brandishes a knife. So – Basically, first victim telling exactly what happened. Right, um, he's outing himself completely. Right. So, um, the first known victim that they can actually confirm is him is April of 1974. Linda Ann Healy, who's 21, she's a student at the University of Washington. She disappears from her apartment. Um, she didn't show up to her Friday morning job at a radio station, which was super unlike her. The room is found really neat and clean, but whenever investigators get there after they find out that she hadn't shown up to work, they check the maid bed and they pull the covers back and they see that there's a large splotch of blood. And so they realize that something is obviously very wrong, but there's literally no trace of her. That's just, no one has an idea. Then it's June of 1974. So that's the same year. Um, Georgianne Hawkins is a, was within two blocks of where Linda Ann Healy disappeared. She's at the beta house visiting her boyfriend at university of Washington. She disappears out of sight, 20 feet away from her house and is taken into a dark alley. Ooh. Disappears. That's the last one she's ever seen. It's like my biggest and she had ever. said, to, and the weird thing that I remember about this, and I don't know if I had it written later, but she's like leaving her boyfriend's house and one of the other fraternity brothers like sticks his head out and says something to her about like, where are you going? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like 1 a.m. And she's like, I have to go back to my room. I need to study for my Spanish test. And he'd said like, oh, something, something like was teasing her for having to go home. And she said, adios. And then just walked off. And she was never seen again. And then never seen again. 
and within 20 oh, feet that is terrifying it's literally from here to your car oh don't say that so, well, i'll walk out it'll be fine you um, will not <laughs> yes i will um Next, Gail, and then over the next six months, Gail Manson also goes missing, Susan Rancourt, Roberta Parks, and Brenda Ball. So that's six and less than six months in the general area. So that's whenever they realize mm-hmm. that there's a pattern. But the problem with the investigation at the time is that there isn't a database. So people don't know if they're in other counties. There's not a lot of communication and definitely not in other states. There's like barely communication. Right. It's like just the missing people in that county. So Things get kicked up a notch um, July 1974 at good old Lake Sammamish State Park, which one day when I come to Seattle again, I want to go just to, like, be a weirdo for, like, two seconds. Ew. Okay. So since it's July 4th, there's 40,000 people there that day. So it's a massive amount of people. That's a lot. Um, A lot of people said they saw a man with a sling saying that he needed help getting his boat onto his car in the parking lot. Um, and several women were asked to complete a sketch after they had been approached by this man after Janice Ott and Denise Naslin both go missing. They're two women that don't know each other. They weren't together. They were, it was at two separate times during the day. So one was more early afternoon and the other one was a little bit closer to the evening. That's so ballsy to do that in the middle of the day. Middle of the day. With 40,000 people. Also, mm-hmm. Lake Sammamish, Sammamish State Park is 19 minutes away from the city of Seattle. It's in um, Issaquah, which is really beautiful. So it's going to be a beautiful lake. But um, that's totally doable. Doable what? Like, it wouldn't take us five hours to drive there. Like, Washington's huge. Yeah. (gasps) So basically, they all said that uh, they also saw the sketch, but they had a light brown or tan Volkswagen bug. Um, They had overheard Janice introduce herself because Janice is like, Janice is one of my favorites of the victims. (laughs) Weird. And I think she actually made my favorite. And she was known for being super, super friendly. And she, he said that he needed help. And she said, hi, uh, my name's Jan. And he said, hi, I'm Ted. And that was the last time that Janice Ott was seen alive. The problem is no one knows if this is his actual name, if this is a fake name that he gave, was he using a middle name, a nickname, a last name? Right. Is it Ted? Is it Theodore? Like, no one knows that. So they end up, through that information, they managed to narrow it down to 100 people, though, which is a lot from 40,000. Mm-hmm. So they come up with a sketch. Um, Anne Rule says that this is the first time that she even considered that it could be her Ted is once they had that information. Um, so she mentions it to law enforcement because she used to be an investigator and just hopes that they'll follow up and they're probably going to find nothing, but at least she said something, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Now at the same time, they get another call. And this is from um, a girl who says that she would like to make a report about her boyfriend who she says she's concerned about. This call, of course, is coming from Liz Clofer. Um, she records an interview that's taped. You can find it online. It's on there. Um, and apparently she's basically, she's saying that he matches, he looks like the sketch. He has the same car and his name is Ted, which is so terrifying because do you think you would turn in your boyfriend? I have no idea. Well, here's, there's not, that's not the only part because I think she wouldn't have with just that information, but then there's also this, he had mentioned to her that he had followed home a sorority girl and that he had tried not to. Oh, she okay. found a bag of women's underwear in their okay. house. She also found a bowl filled with random house keys that <gasps> they didn't have any identification for. Ew. She found a knife in his car. She said that the night that Brenda Ball disappeared, he had come late the next morning to her daughter's baptism and like didn't have an excuse as to where he was. Interesting. Yeah. So suspicious and afraid. She's unsure. She's like, hey, just roll them out for me so I can sleep at night and just hopes that that's what happens. <laughs> so they add his photograph to a lineup. 
seven positively said that Ted Bundy was not that man that they saw at Lake Sammamish. Oh. So they were like, oh, guess it's not him. So at this point, the investigation just kind of goes cold. And basically, and the police in the area said that he would only get caught if he committed another crime because they had nothing to go off of other than that. Interesting. Now, the thing is, Ted, the reason that that happened, basically, is that Ted has the most morphable face. He has the most average white guy face, but he, like, trims his mustache a little and he looks like a totally different person. <laughs> like, it, he literally looks so different every single time that, like, people always say he looks completely different. Hmm. Um, which comes back. Again, later. So, so, September 1974, Ted moves to the University of Utah for law school. Um, the, that's where the murders move from the Seattle area to the Utah area. Nice. Surprise, surprise. Not Melissa nice. Smith um, is murdered after she left a restaurant, and her body's recovered nine days later. Nancy Wilcox was then kidnapped and was never found. Laura Amy was kidnapped and then found in the mountains. Um, and then there was the attempted kidnapping of Carol Durange. So Carol is interviewed in the documentaries and stuff. And she's like, cause she's the only well. one who escaped him. Right. Well, no. So she's actually the only, the, she's the one that went on to, um, testify against him and like all of it. And basically is what got him in prison. But there's actually another woman who was like the first victim ever. And she still has a traumatic brain injury from what he did to her after he bashed her over the head. Wow. And she's in the, I want to say it's the Amazon documentary. I'm pretty sure. And she talks about like how it ruined her life. I thought you were saying she's in the Amazon now. Like she's in the Amazon. She was like, I got to get out of here. So Carol Durant um, is at a local mall in Utah. And apparently she goes into the mall and as she's in there, the a cop of a cop comes up to her and says like hey someone just tried to break into your car like can you come out and see if anybody what they took and she was like wait are you serious and he's like yeah do you drive this car with this license plate and she's like yeah and so he's like yeah i'm an off-duty police officer let me take you out there that off-duty police officer is ted bundy (laughs) and so he takes her out there like and he's like look look inside the car blah blah blah." and so he gets her where her guard is down and tries to and tries to hit her over the head with a crowbar it ends up becoming this whole thing. She ends up jumping out of his moving car because he wrestled her into his Volkswagen, this whole thing, and she managed to get away from him. He then drives um, all the way out to just outside of Salt Lake, um, and he ends up taking a woman named Deborah Kent. Um, and this is all in November of 1974. So he's only been here at this point for two months. So he's, like, devolving very quickly. Yeah. Um, and the only reason that they know that it definitely was him is they found a handcuff key in the parking lot that fit the handcuff that was still on Carol Durange because he had tried to handcuff her and she only had oh. one cuff on before he couldn't get the other one in time. And they found the key in the parking lot and they stuck it in there and it fit. And that Which, like, side note, would you fall for that? What? Somebody coming into the mall and saying, like, hey, is this your car? Like, somebody... Do you think you would um, I don't walk know. out there and be like, oh Potentially. My well, the thing is, he's so charming. I don't know. Maybe. I feel like I would do it just because I'm dumb, not because the guy's charming, but I would just be like, oh my gosh, I'm on Well, like convincing. Yeah, just yeah. like, like I, he didn't give you a reason to not. Yeah. But the minute he said off duty, I think I would, it would trigger me. Like you're telling me that you're wearing a white shirt and like brown corduroys. I'm not following know. you outside. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Very bizarre. I don't know. Maybe I think, maybe if he had me looking around, I don't know. I think I probably would fall for it. I know. That's the scariest mm-hmm. part. So... Around this time, shortly after that, at Taylor Mountain back in Seattle, they find Brenda Ball's skull that is then discovered 100 feet apart of the remains of three other missing women. 
And the animals in the area had already done a ton of damage to them. And basically the police referred to it as the garbage disposal. Like he just threw things there just to get rid of them. Which uh, any of my Washington friends listening, this is seven minutes away from Tiger Mountain. I've been to Tiger Mountain with a lot of my friends from home. And you guys. And seven minutes away. Literally seven minutes away from Taylor Mountain, Mm. which is terrifying. It's alarming. Okay. So it's January 1975. Karen Campbell disappears from a hotel with her fiance. She literally went up to her room to get a magazine and never came back. Um, so at this time, a cop manages to pull over Ted Bundy for just like a traffic violation and finds stuff in his car. Um, they find he finds like a ski mask, a crowbar, like some very suspicious stuff. Um, so Carol Durange comes to see him in a lineup. Now he specifically has changed up his hair part, his clothes. And he uh, is, like, going out of his way knowing that he's a chameleon kind of person. Mm -hmm. But she identifies him, and he's arrested. He's found guilty of the kidnapping of Carol. They do a psych evaluation at the Utah State Prison um, and with Dr. Carlisle, who Ted calls an asshole. Um, Mm -hmm. A psychiatrist says that Bundy always painted a very positive, idealized version of his childhood. He interviewed family and friends of of Ted Bundy and the doctor stated that he didn't feel that Ted should be on probation because he was violent. Mm. So they shouldn't let him out on bail or anything. So while Ted is in prison, he's tried for the Karen Campbell case for her murder. They find the brochure in his old apartment of the um, Wildwood Inn where she disappeared. Witnesses saw him at the inn and placed him in the area. So now because they have enough for to indict him on two things, the death penalty is on the table. So he's extradited to Colorado where Karen was taken. Mm. At this time, Ted Bunny starts acting as his own lawyer um, with a team of lawyers. At the I same do time remember because this. he's so confident. So he at this at the same time he starts religiously while he's in prison, jumping off of the top bunk of his cell to strengthen his legs. He is mentally measuring the distances around the prison and has walked ran miles or walked and ran miles around his cell. He is practicing changing clothes as quickly as he can, and he gets a fresh haircut right before he's about to go in for his sentencing. So he's acting as his own lawyer. So the guards are waiting outside the courtroom library while he's preparing in the courthouse library. (laughs) At that time, Bundy is left alone with an open window. This man jumps 25 feet out the window. Thank God he'd been strengthening his legs. It's a beautiful, clear morning. This is how he's describing it. He said he sees the Aspen Mountains and it's like the first time he's had hope in a really long time. And he's the first time he's without handcuffs. And he just books it. And no one has any idea where he is. So eventually they realize, like, wait, where is this dude? They go in, long gone, sayonara, bye. That's insane So that didn't break his leg. Right? 25 feet's pretty high. 25 feet's pretty high. To land on your feet. Right. Like, it's not. I mean, he probably didn't, but he probably tuck and rolled it. But still, it but wouldn't be easy to like, land and then roll. Mm-hmm. He's not just, like landing on his head and rolling well no i mean <laughs> I, I know I, that also saying, would not like, be a great situation oh i'm just surprised that jumping off the top of your bunk worked it did apparently i mean enough it worked enough. i'm sure he probably twisted an ankle but whatever carry on so they use dogs but they end up losing the scent of him there's roadblocks everywhere um to like try to stop traffic um but he had found a cabin in the mountains that was empty he eats their food he sleeps there uses their clothes steals a car, and then makes a U-turn back into town for Aspen. 
because of all the road stops, he's pulled over for erratic driving because he was so physically exhausted after being out in the bad weather. And he had been like, like in the, like the cold of Colorado trying to like stay awake during the night before he found the house. So Uh, he's like exhausted. Like all the place. Why didn't he just take the night for in the cabin? He didn't find it yet before Uh, he found it. He didn't find it until later. He was like hiking the mountain. Oh. Um, Okay, so then it's December 30th. So this is um, after – gosh, when is this? This happens. Well, this is later on that year. So he's in prison waiting for trial. The guard brings Ted his food that morning. Um, this is like almost a year later. That he is um, – goes the next morning and they find that the food is uneaten outside of the like little window. But they see that Bundy's asleep in his cot. So the guard comes in to wake him up. And when he shakes the blanket, he finds, instead of finding Ted Bundy, he finds a pile of books. Nice. So how in the world could this have happened? Apparently, Ted had starved himself down to 140 pounds. He'd hacked into the ceiling tile, and and there was an apartment that was right above the cell that was the jailer's, like one of the officers. Who lived there? Who lived there with his wife. (gasps) He had, his apartment was like right above the cell, and he had like, whittled away slowly at the ceiling tile and was able to crawl through the ceiling tile and get into the jailer's apartment. That's terrifying. He listened and he realized home? that they were going to a movie oh. that night. And so he waited till they left. He took his clothing, the jailer's clothing, so that he could be looking normal. And he just waltzed right out the front door. Oh, my God. Like, like genius. It really is genius. Yeah. But also terrifying. Now, here's where it gets somehow worse. January 14th. Oh, and this is on New Year's Day. They find him. Or they find out that he's gone. Happy New Year. Um, <laughs> January 14th at Florida State University. It's 2.30 a.m. at the Kaya Omega House. So now we're at our stomping grounds. Well, right. Tallahassee, but you know. Um, that day they find, the day of, they find that there were four injured women, two of whom were already dead, which were Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy. Karen Chandler mm-hmm. and Kathy Kleiner were attacked but did end up living. Um, they don't have, as far as they know, they don't have any recollection of what, of, of much of their attacks. They, you know, obviously realize what happened after the fact, but not at the time. So down the street, there's also a duplex of Cheryl Thomas, who was found dead in her apartment after a call came from a neighbor about loud noises on the duplex wall. They found mutilation by mouth and by teeth imprinted double bite mark that was found on Margaret Bowman's butt cheek. <gasps> Teeth? Teeth. Um, now, the really disturbing part about this, and if this, is gonna, that. if this is going to gross you out, then then skip 15 seconds. But Margaret Bowman, I didn't see the pictures, but they said that Margaret Bowman's head was double the size of her neck because of how tightly he strangled her around <gasps> the neck with a Ew, pair of pantyhose. You can see photos of that? No, I don't know if you can. I haven't looked them up. I don't want to see uh. that. But um, she was like, yeah, like totally bloated her head. Um, okay. So yeah, um, things are not looking good. So this is in one night he managed to attempt to kill five people, but he killed three in one night. Yeah. So the kind of mega house, actually our Dean of our social work department at Southeastern lived in that house after the fact. Oh, that's not at the time. terrifying. No, I know. And they like never told them which rooms were whose, but she's like, I always had a feeling it might've been mine, but I guess everybody could have felt like that. Oh my yeah. gosh. That I wouldn't be able to sleep there. No. Well, they said that they're, they were worried about copycats. And so yeah. they would have you – they had, um, like, the on the anniversary of the murders and stuff or, like, Halloween and stuff like that, they would have, like, security that would guard that house because they were just worried that someone would try to, like – or even even just trying to scare them on yeah. that night would be too much. So 
And now it gets worse. Um, Lake City, Florida, 40 days. Um, or Ted Bundy's been gone for 40 days at this point. You have from no the idea Kai Omega house. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, from just from fleeing prison from Colorado. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So that's never really Kimberly Leach was on her way to middle school February 9th. She's 12 years old. Oh, she had walked no. off the basketball court at her school and had just disappeared. I didn't know little kids were. Yeah, she was the only one that was that young. Oh. I know. And she's very cute. It's very sad. So that then you have the recording of Ted Bundy talking about his time in, away from prison. And he says, that day in Pensacola was one of the best that I spent. It was sunny and I was going to the beach. This is the way to start 1978. I was feeling really satisfied with the way things were. Oh my gosh. Sickening. I know. An officer in Pensacola stops a car that seems suspicious for driving too slow. In it, he finds 21 stolen credit cards, some of which were from FSU co-eds. And he Whoa. knows what happened there. Yeah. So um, the man, whoever's inside, resists arrest, and the officer ends up managing to get him cuffed and get him in the car. But he refuses to identify himself. There's no DNA in the car, but the car was stolen from near FSU. Okay. So he finally identifies himself in exchange for a phone call with Liz on February 16th, 1978. She asks him in this phone call, which you can also hear, if he's sick. As in, like, you know, are you mentally mentally ill? ill. Yeah. And he just gets defensive. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean am I sick? You know, whatever. Gets really nasty with her. But then he calls her back the next day and says that he is, in fact, sick. That he's preoccupied by a force that he can't understand. That is so dark. Um, they track his credit cards and they found a link through Kim Leach of like where he was. They go to an empty hog pen next to a tin shack in Florida in a Florida brush eight weeks later after her disappearance and they find her body. A pig pen? Yes. That's it's disgusting. Rude. That's rude. Yeah. <laughs> How rude. I mean, it's just like Dirty disturbing. And gross. So they get a search warrant in Tallahassee for Ted's mouth at this point. What? Mm-hmm. You can literally get a search warrant for someone's mouth. Interesting. Because. Was their butt cheek? Because the butt cheek. Because the butt cheek. So they got a search warrant for his mouth so that they could get a dental print to see if it matched. Isn't that so crazy? Yeah, that's. It's not like foolproof, but it's like pretty close. I mean, it's hard. Like, it would be really crazy if all of these coincidences happened. So um, they end up showing. He's fighting them tooth and nail. And you can see these pictures online, too. He's like fighting, trying to like not let them get his teeth prints. And they set, they start showing him all of the devices for degrees of force. Of, like, if you keep fighting us on this, we get to restrain you. Like, we get to do whatever the heck we want to get what we need to get. And he's angry and he's screaming. But then after they say that, he just sits down. He leans back. And he opens his mouth. And they get a mold. And he just bites down on it and says nothing. Um, and everything is fine. Very weird. <laughs> so... Uh, they say that Bundy has very particular teeth with crooked space and di- very distinct canines, and the bite mark still matched, no. which is debated now, but still, it did match at the time. So, um, not that anyone's doubting whether or not he did it, but just doubted the actual science behind it. But sure. um, they end up indicting him for the Chi Omega murders on TV with three counts of first-degree murder, but it's only for those three murders at the time. Oh. Um, so it's May of 1979. Ted is given a public defender, but he wants to negotiate a plea bargain so that he can, he would get off of the death penalty. He's, like, terrified of the death penalty consistently this whole time. So Ted says yes. Um, he ends up standing up in the middle of the trial and says that his counsel believes that he is guilty. They are incompetent. They're ineffective. And he turns down the plea in front of his lawyers who had already agreed. Like, they had all agreed in the room ahead of time. 
when they were deliberating, like, this is what you're going to plead. This is how we're going to do it. And he's like, yep, yep, yep. And the second they get in there in front of the judge, he like just changes his mind and says they're all incompetent. Oh my gosh. So this uh, man's name is Minerva. It's his last name. He is told by the judge that they can't substitute counsel, but that he can become an advisory council member. So Ted can act in his own defense with Margaret Good, who's the other lawyer. Um, and they ruled that he was competent in a competency, in a competency trial. So he was like, Okay, fine. Go be your own lawyer. It's stupid, but go do it. Yeah. And he thinks that because he like had a couple years of law school under his belt, that he was going to be glorious. He oh like was totally gosh. confident. So Ted asked for more privileges during the trial. He talked about how poor his treatment was. He's asked for a motion for a change of menu. This whole bit. He cross examines the police officer from the scene of the crimes. This is rule number one that you should not have a crime scene witness describe the scene to the judge and jury if you're the defense, which makes sense, right? Because it's no one wants to if you hear about a crime scene in general you want justice for it doesn't matter like there's someone there that you can convict people are going to want to do it well apparently they said that he wanted excruciating detail and he they think that he wanted to like relive the gore of what happened yeah like he's getting off on it um so nita neary is an eyewitness to the chi omega house murders and pointed him out robert haggard walks out of the courtroom who's the defense attorney and asks after Ted attacks his defense in front of the court. The, now, meanwhile, this is also a really weird police thing. Or not police thing. Like a, like a media thing, I guess. Mm-hmm. is like that there's girls fawning over him. Like how he is the hottest. Like people just thought he was so attractive. Ew, which I don't yeah. really get to begin with. But also like, like people just lined up outside the courthouses every day. Just because he was cute. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ew. I know. So he was found in contempt of court for failing to show up and stuffing his prison lock with wet toilet paper so that he didn't have to go to – so he didn't have to go. And he's just, like, so cocky and disgusting. So an old friend comes and advocates for Ted, and her name is Carol Ann Boone. Um, and so they end up – do I have this on here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in November – well, okay, well, first of all, they get really close. She's visiting him in prison. Six and a half hours after the jury is released to deliberate, they return and they find him guilty of the Chi Omega murders. So then he has to go on trial for the Kimberly Leach murder, which is separate. Mm-hmm. So in November, he goes to trial for that. The defense court calls on Carol Ann Boone as a character witness. And Ted proposes to her. What? In the court. I forgot this. And he said, do you want to marry me? And she says, yes. And he says, and I want to marry you. And I hereby do marry you in the presence of the court. And this is actually a legal marriage. A legal, not illegal. No, yeah, a legal marriage because (laughs) it's in the presence of the court. They're all sitting there like, are you kidding me? Which doesn't help his defense at all. Mm -hmm. Like, everybody's like, are you kidding? You're at the murder trial of a 12-year-old girl. And you're trying to get married to somebody. Literally. It's disgusting. Yeah, too much. So. Um, he is found guilty in that murder as well, and he's sentenced to death again. Um, so Carol um, apparently regularly smuggled drugs in vaginally for Ted, which include Valium, weed, and alcohol. First of all, how you getting those? Get them. How you getting those mini bottles up there? Yeah, that. But also, like, how are you getting them out into him? Like, you just Bad. drop trow in the middle of the... Drop trow? In the middle of the, like... What does that mean? Food court and, like... I don't I don't Pull know. them out real quick and then... She wore a skirt? Put them where? 
Because when you go, at least now, when you go back in to go to the bathroom or at all, you get strip searched. Well, here's the thing. You got to spread your butt cheeks. I think it was a different time because they apparently had paid off the correctional officers at the time so that they could have sex. And it must have worked because Carol does get pregnant with Ted's baby. Ooh. So clearly some sketchy stuff okay. is going on in general. So that's how. Yes. <laughs> um, and they have his uh, biological daughter, Rosa, who's running around somewhere. Um, the FBI comes to him and asks him questions, and he actually ends up profiling things for them, like helping him, helping with like <laughs> human behavior profiling and fi- finding murderers. Like he's helped to solve murders. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? Um, he ends up being diagnosed as manic depressive, which is now considered bipolar, and having a lack of empathy. I don't know if that means he's diagnosed with an antisocial personality disorder, even mm-hmm. though he absolutely qualifies for it. But yeah, kind of crazy. So. Skipping ahead, January 1989, days before the execution, was where he confessed to the world that he was a murderer and that he had killed all of these women. He was using this as a pawn for his day of execution, though. He wasn't doing it to be noble. He said, we came up with 30. We added up. When asked how many people he killed, that's what he said. He admitted to necrophilia. Ew. Yeah. If you don't know what necrophilia is, he's having sex with the dead bodies. Um. He starts talking about where people's heads are. So he starts telling about, I guess he must have dismembered some of them, I'm assuming, if their heads are in separate places. Mm -hmm. Ted says um, that this all really began because of his involvement with – his involvement, obsession, and addiction to violent pornography, which, yes, may have been a part of the perfect storm. No, it was not the sole reason why you killed 30 women, you asshole. Like, (laughs) no, it wasn't. But, yes, it probably didn't help your developing brain whatsoever. So, basically, looking back on it now, there's a million and ten close calls that if one thing would have gone differently, he definitely wouldn't have been arrested ever. And so, like, the biggest ones would probably be, like, Sammamish, the fact that he, like, totally messed that one up because he had his car, he said his name, all of that. If he hadn't done that, if Liz hadn't called and suggested his name, Uh never even would have been a suspect. Mm -hmm. If he hadn't attacked Carol DeRanche. If she got away. Yeah, if the cop hadn't pulled him over when his headlight was out or if he hadn't been, like, swerving all over the road whenever he's coming back from Colorado, no one knows when they would have found him. Um... If he hadn't killed again in Florida, they think they never would have found him. Oh, if he just would have been done with it after Washington and Utah? Yeah, they would have never found him. In the 70s, they didn't have – oh, in the 70s, they never had any crossover. That's true. And they also think that if they didn't have the bite mark on the butt cheek, that it literally would have made (laughs) all the difference. We didn't try and take a bite of that booty. Right? Craziness. So, yeah, he ended up – he didn't get the stay of execution, and then he died in 1985. From the what? Electric chair. Good old Sparky, which I am not. I am. For. I'm against the death penalty. I am. But then I'm also, I, I, I have a hard time with like that. You know, like I almost want to say I'm pro death penalty if you've killed like that. But then I'm also like, no, I mean, no, I don't think I'm not. But like. I think I'm like against the electric chair regardless though. No. That yes. to me is like torture. Oh, absolutely. It's horrifying. And yeah. too much can go wrong. Yeah. Well, granted, but that's with anything. Literally, like, lethal injection. What's terrifying about lethal injection is they don't know how painful it is. Right. Because who's going to trip? Well, they use a paralytic first. And so that person's frozen. It paralyzes you. Yeah. And they, they're they supposed to give you a numbing agent. But if they put it in wrong, which has absolutely happened. That is, that's sad. Or if I'm the paralytic, because they know the paralytic sometimes doesn't go in. And so sometimes if the paralytic doesn't go in, then. I don't like that. No, it's horrifying. I just don't – I don't like that, any of that. Any of that is terrible. So 
Ladies and gentlemen, that is Ted Bundy. Um, there's also another really good book is The Phantom Prince, which is written by Liz, oh. who um, has like gone on and lived her life. And it's actually the very last scene of the Amazon documentary is like one of the most moving scenes of like the entire thing. And it's like, um, it's uh, Mrs. Bundy, Ted's mom, who also Ted's mom insisted that he was innocent up until that last couple of days whenever when he, he finally admitted, admitted it. it. And she was like, how could you have done this? How like, or he basically had said like, mom, you got to give it up. Like it was me. And she was like, I don't understand. Like that doesn't make it. And she's very like innocent, angelic little Christian woman, like very sheltered almost. Denial oh yeah. Her baby could have mm-hmm. done anything wrong. Yeah. Basically. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, I did do it. And she, and she is explain. In the very last scene of the Amazon one, she's talking to, I believe it's Janice Ott's mom and sister, oh. and is saying like, I am so sorry. I swear I didn't try to raise him this way. And it's like the moms talking to each other, oh. both as like two moms that lost their kids, mm. which is just disturbing and sad and terrible. Yeah, one worse than the other, but. Yeah. Right. No. Well, yeah. But like, I don't even know how you would come to terms. And Emerson and I were talking about this the other day too, because we were, I was looking up, I don't want to give it away, but we were looking up another situation where like a mom's talking about her son being murderer. And um, she like ends up going on, like she does like a TED talk and all this stuff about it. Mm-hmm. And like, but then he ends up killing himself. And she, and it's just like the fact that you're also grieving a loss, even though, but then you also have all of so many questions that you would have of like, what? And you're like They're mad wrong. at him, but you miss them, right? And it's like your Did you child, know them? yeah. And then you feel guilty but for you're grieving ashamed. them, yeah. Oh, it's just terrible. oh, that's messy. It's very messy. Yeah, not not a fan. No, but they also don't know if thirty is an exact number because they think it could have been less than that. He could have been overcompensating because he's a narcissist and saying like, oh, so many, or he could be backpedaling it, trying to get out of the death penalty at the time. Because he was really terrified to die. Oh. And they they think that it was possible that he – I don't know. He uh, – and granted, people think, and I don't know what I think or if it's possible. It depends on who you talk to. My One of my professors thinks that she doesn't think that it was like a genuine apology at the end. Not that it makes up for literally anything. Mm-hmm. But at the end – like at the very end, I forget what his last words were. But it was something – more apologetic than not but there's one guy i think it was john wayne gacy whose last words were like go to hell or something and i do it again (laughs) oh dear god um so yeah i know really terrifying but yeah so that's your stomping grounds maddie how do you feel um scared and um scared Mm -hmm. scared and scared scared and scared Corey always makes fun of me because i'm so terrified to get like taken like someone could just pick you up and take you away (laughs) but it happens it does happen and um yeah it's just solidified that my fear is rational and not irrational so thank you for that tonight sorry Corey. you can deal with her rants about things (laughs) yeah you just expose me to it and then make him deal with my fear (laughs) literally he's like if you keep doing this podcast i'm literally gonna kill you because you're just and you get more and more annoying as time goes on i saw this um it wasn't like an interview but it was just like this thing on tiktok where it was like girls what do you do first when you get in the car and everybody in the comments was like lock the doors yeah like as soon as you get in the car you just lock the doors because it's terrifying being a woman wait well seatbelt 
but I, I lock the door. Oh, I close the door and I lock it. Actually, wait a minute. I'm thinking. No, I think I do lock it. I think it depends on where I am usually, but yeah, I want to say almost. I lock it every time. I could be pulling up that to a so church scary. parking lot or leaving a church parking lot and I get in my car and lock the door. We've been burnt by the church. Burnt by the church. <laughs> All right, everybody, have a great Thanksgiving. Ten Monday. Average and all.